morning. Glad that you are here. Um, on your way into the campus this morning, you should have been handed the notes. If you want to grab those in just a second, we'll jump into the message. Let me welcome all of our campuses in, not just here at Lone Tree, but Highlands Ranch and Castle Rock and uh, Lakewood, those that are live streaming us. However you participate in whatever media you use to do that, we want to welcome you and thank you for being a part of it. I have a couple of quick uh, housekeeping items that I need to uh, let you know about. You just watched uh, Terry and I talk about our next series coming up called Obey. And in a nutshell, it really is a, a series. I think you'll find it very valuable. It deals with the mind, the spirit, and the body. Now, it's not Eastern uh, philosophy. Just, just quickly, uh, biblically, I would explain it this way, that God created you with those three things to make up a whole. And if one of the three gets off, it can mess up the other two. So let me give you, for instance, when you're tired physically, how much do you feel like praying? And when you are, uh, let's say, stressed out emotionally, how does it make you feel physically? God tied the three things to work with each other. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit. But one of the things that we want and that we're striving for, we've been talking about it, is not to just come and hear a message, but we want you to be able to really connect. We want you to be able to find community. So Terry and I uh, were talking about how we could, in this series, see that happen. So I asked Terry, hey, write out for me, uh, if, if you had to put it just in a couple of sentences, what you want to see happen in this series. Remember, Terry and Brenda's job, they're the connection pastors. So Terry, how do we take the message and, with symmetry, work it into the idea of connection? So Terry wrote this. Uh, he said, John, experts tell us that by the third weekend of January, most people have failed or are failing at their New Year's resolutions. But what if we could help folks change their lives by simply learning to obey God? Our series, Obey, that'll begin next week, uh, will have some great messages uh, on mind, spirit, and body, but we also want to encourage folks to be able to be part of a small group that will last just during the series. So we're not asking for a long-term commitment here. We're not asking you to overcommit in something. We know that so many people are busy, and you may already belong to a group in some form or fashion. Here's what we'd like to do. For the five weeks that this series is going to go on, we'd like to be able to take it past just the message. We need folks that would be willing to facilitate or host a group, and then, of course, we need folks to sign up to be a part of it. Pastor Terry's going to meet with the folks who would facilitate and host it this coming week so that you're not just... Uh, uh, thrown out there and trying to figure it out. We'll have all the information as to what you need to do and how it needs to go. We'll give all of those tools to you, but what we need is for you to be a part of it. So if you're interested, uh, want to find out a little bit more, or you're like, hey, I could do that, in the foyer at our Connect, Grow, Serve table. Stop there. The information will be there. You need to sign up, and Terry will contact you this week. And then one other piece of um, housekeeping uh, that, that you may want to be aware of. So uh, every other year, we do an Israel trip. We went for 2013, so our plan was to do it again in 2015. We've had so many people ask us, hey, if you went in 2014, we'd go. So we put together a trip. It's going to be informational on February 9th at this campus. So it's two weeks from today at 5 o'clock. If you'd like to go to Israel this year, the trip would be in September, the exact dates, September 4th through the 15th. If you're interested in, John, how much is it going to cost? What's the itinerary like? 
Uh, how could we, you know, do, is, does, it, does it do all at once or do you spread it out? Yes. All those things will answer at that meeting. So if you'd like to go to Israel this year, uh, we're going to throw it out there and see if we have enough folks uh, that want to go. Uh, going to an every other year scenario allows us to take uh, somewhere between 80 to 100 people. Uh, it's a couple of buses. We need a minimum of 40 people to be able to pull a trip off to make it affordable. So if we have that number, then we do a trip. If we don't, then we'll wait until uh, the following year to put it together. But if you're interested, uh, be aware of that. It is uh, two weeks from today, 5 o'clock here in the sanctuary. Okay, uh, go ahead and grab your notes. Let's jump into this real quick. It's our last message uh, in the series called For Christ's Sake. And if you're visiting today, uh, the title is not used flippantly. It's not used sacrilegiously. I don't mean it... Um, Trying to, trying to take modern vernacular and, and disrespect. Uh, we, we based it on Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, and I won't take the time to go back and read that, but in our first uh, message, we used that as the text that we launched from, and uh, a summation of that, Paul is basically just teaching uh, the Philippian church that everything that has been used as a, a plus and a positive and promotion in his life, he counts those things as nothing compared to living his life for Christ's sake. And so I took that thought and that idea and began to teach in it that everything we do should be filtered through that thought. What are we doing for Christ's sake? Our marriage should be done for Christ's sake. Our, the way we work should be done for Christ's sake. The way we live our lives, the way that we, we interact in this world should be done for Christ's sake. Does that make sense? And so we've just been teaching on that, that idea right there. Well, we, we had it sort of in a broad-based idea uh, initially, and then week by week we've brought it down uh, a little more personal. This, this day we're going to look at um, uh, our church and what are we doing in our church for Christ's sake. Now, I, that's not going to be a real broad thing, like what are we doing for missions for Christ's sake and what are we doing uh, in our different programs. I, I'm going to talk about at the end of our message, if you go here, you know it's true, and if you're visiting, you'll see it in action today. The end of our message, we, we go um, shorter on the front end with, with our music, uh, jump right into the teaching so that we can give a response time for people at the end of our message. Here's what we believe. A message is not going to change your life. God changes your life. That, that's what we believe. We believe that the message can enhance the ability for people to respond to it, but unless you touch God, what's supposed to happen won't happen for you. So we're very serious about giving God time. We, we never close our messages by just praying and releasing people. What we want is for people who have heard from God to take a few minutes then and allow God to plant that, to ask him, okay, what do you want me to do with this? What is it supposed to look like now? What's, what happens now? Does that, does that, so, so we're going to talk today uh, with that idea. I put the title of the message, you'll find it in your notes right there, The Value of Response. The Value of Response. Right below that, as a thought, I put cautious or contagious. And let me just, uh, I'll try to, try to just, just launch into this from that point. Uh, I think that we live in a day, an age, a society, perhaps it's just simply um, a, a comfort level or it's, maybe it has more to do with uh, uh, the way we were raised. Um, I'm not sure what you would call it, the ethos of a group, the, the spirit of a group, but people today tend to be far more cautious than they are contagious. We live our lives very cautiously. Now, there's good reason for that. I, I get it. We live in a day where there's, you know, there's things around us we don't understand. There's things around us that, for, uh, for sure, there, cautious is, is the rule of the day in many ways. But when it comes to our spiritual life, we're not supposed to be cautious. God wants us to be contagious. Absorbing, yes. 
Let me try this side because you've absorbed it already, having heard it over there. We're not supposed to live our spiritual lives cautious but contagious. Yes. <laughs> the, the, the thought, I think um, part of it is just simply, uh, I, I've talked before, an eclectic church, so many different backgrounds. Some folks in our church, man, they're brand new uh, on, on the dynamic of even having a spiritual life. And some of you have a very robust spiritual life. You've walked with God for a long period of time. Well, we end up all going to church together. Some come from formal backgrounds. Some come from very informal backgrounds. Uh, some, some are used to high church, and some are used to lowbrow church. And, um, and so we, you bring all that together, and people tend to be, when they're not sure, when it's not what their background was, they tend to remain cautious rather than contagious. And God doesn't want you to be cautious when it comes to your spiritual life, he wants you to jump into it. Now, I, I've got a little bit of a, um, a dynamic here with a scripture. I'm going to play off the negative side of this scripture. Uh, it, it's a story that's probably, it's not, it's not taught a whole lot. And when I read it to you, I, I'll, I'll try to show you why I picked it. It comes from Acts chapter 5, 38 and 39. Here's, here's the background. The disciples, this is after Jesus' uh, resurrection and after the ascension. And the disciples are out uh, telling everybody about the resurrection. And they're seeing uh, an unbelievable amount of people uh, that, that were, were Jews converting to Christianity. Uh, they, initially in, the, in the, this part of the Bible, it was called the way. The followers of Christ were known as the way. And so uh, the, the apostles are seeing an unbelievable amount. I mean, thousands of people literally in a day are coming to Christ. And the religious leaders of the day become very jealous and very concerned. It, it's messing up the status quo. And that's what Jesus did. He messed up the status quo. And, and they're upset about this. So they arrest the apostles. And they, they mistreated them and they threatened them. And here we have one of the cases where the apostles have been arrested. And they're being threatened not to preach in the name of Jesus. And um, one, of the, uh, one of the rabbis, one of the older rabbis whose name was Gamaliel... Uh, he gives a piece of advice. And we find his piece of advice about the disciples after they've been arrested. The, the younger ones are like, what do we do with these guys? Do we throw them in prison? Do we just beat them up? Uh, do we let them go? They're, they have a lot of followers. What, what, what do we do? They're, they're unsure what to do. So Gamaliel gives them this piece of advice. He, he, he says this, Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, or my advice to you is this, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Now, let me just stop. At face value, does that not sound like wisdom to you? Like a good way to sort of approach something? Wrong. And here's why. It is natural wisdom, no doubt. To take a wait-and-see approach towards something has... A, yeah, I get it. That's the way that we should live a lot of our lives. But when it comes to the things of God, if we know something is God, we should never stand back and go, let's see how it turns out. God wants us to jump in with both feet, with our whole heart, and give him everything. We, we should never say, well, let's see what turns out. If we know something's God, if we suspect that God is doing something, if we perceive God in something, we are the people of God and should run to it. God is looking for people to cooperate with that heart. I think many times we take the attitude, well, let's, if, it's, if it's not God, 
nothing will come of it. If it is God, let's just see how it works out. We'll, we'll wait till the last moment to jump in. God's not looking for that. The Bible says his eyes go to and fro on the earth looking for people whose hearts are turned towards him. He wants that attitude in the book of Revelation. Remember, Jesus is talking to one of the last day churches, and he says, I have this against you. You're neither hot nor cold. They take that middle ground attitude. Let's wait and see. Let's not be too... Let, but we, we don't, we don't want to be fanatics. I wonder how many of you will be fanatics next weekend. Any? <laughs> Go Broncos. So, I, the quick, quick sideline story. I can tell it in this one because he's not here right now. Um, one of our twins has a girlfriend, and she's recently been introduced to our family. And the way that we brought her into our family, we just we brought her to uh, come watch a Bronco game at our house. We figured if she could make it through that, she, she'll know what she's getting into. And I, so we all put on our Bronco gear. And yeah, we, we are, I would, I don't know if you'd let me be your pastor if you saw our house <laughs> on Bronco Sunday. We get pretty into it. We yell and scream and jump up and down, uh, and that's just my wife. Uh, it, it's, <laughs> we get pretty excited. No, no compulsion whatsoever to support the Broncos. We're, we're in. So I, I, some of you would be like, well, how can you compare the two things with each other? How about because we have, a, we have something much more eternal and exciting than a temporary football game? Why would we treat our God with any less enthusiasm? I'm just asking. So I, I would say that culturally... We've been raised to see God. Well, it's a lack of respect to, 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 the Bible is full of God himself asking us. The word hallelujah means to shout joyfully to the Lord. Here's how most churches say hallelujah. Hallelujah. The very word means hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on. times. Here's the correct mindset when it comes to the thought process. God pursues us, we respond. God pursues, we respond. That's the way he, we, we're not out. When people say, I found God, uh, I get what they're saying, but it's actually, uh, it's backwards theology. You are not smart enough, fast enough, or even knew where to look to find him. If you know him, it's because he got your attention. Do you know that? God pursues, we respond. So let me give you a couple of scriptural examples. 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he... Let's try it one more time. We love him because he... He first loved us. Our response to his love in order, is that we didn't love him, and then God turned his heart towards us. God pursued us with his love, and when we recognize that, now we're able to love him in return. The basis for our relationship with God 
is always predicated on the fact that he pursues us. Uh, let me give you another one. I think this is a really cool one. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, the first part of the verse. He chose us in him. What's the word right there? Before the creation of the world. Before you even existed in the flesh, God picked you. Before your ability to even recognize or realize that God's pursuing you, he chose you. He knew you. This, this goes way beyond the idea that you're here accidentally. This is the idea that before any of it existed, God knew you and picked you, chose you. All we can ever do with God is to respond to him. But then this would be my, my question to you. What kind of response should it be? Should it be a casual, uh, he picked me, that's awesome. Shouldn't the response, if we really get the king of the universe chose me, shouldn't the response be, ah, oh, how exciting that is. Hallelujah. That's right. Hallelujah. We're going to start a new thing at our church. <laughs> All right. Let me, let me, let me do this. Uh, under, under important. Pastor, how do you know this is important? Because I wrote important, right? Right there in your... Okay. Here's what we want to happen during the response time. Let me tell you what you're aiming at, what you're pursuing, what your mindset or your thought process should be when we go to, to have the response time, okay? We value response. Here's what should happen during response. Number one, I wrote down the word aware. We want you to become very aware versus being unaware. Aware versus being unaware. I heard a teacher, Malcolm Smith, for those who know the name, is probably one of the foremost teachers on grace. I grew up not being taught much about grace. So that the first time I ever heard a teacher really teach on grace, it actually was offensive to me because my thought was, oh, this, this, this is going to trip everybody up, man. People are going to go out and sin. In reality, he was never teaching that it's okay to go sin. He was teaching that God's grace and mercy is where everything, the ability to be free from sin comes from love, not fear. Do you believe that? I should probably spend time just on that right there. I don't, just don't have it. So he, he said this, and it just, it has stuck with me now for more than 20 years. He said one of the, one of the greatest revelations that a person can ever have is when they become present to the presence of God. All right, theologically, let me just ask you, if you're a believer, I'm talking to a believer, do you believe that God is everywhere all the time? Yes. Do you believe that? It's called omnipresent, God is everywhere all the time. All right, if God is everywhere all the time, and, and we believe he's always around, um, why don't we, why are there times we sense and feel that more than other times in our life? Because we're open, one of the reasons. Because we're aware, would you agree with that? Yeah. If God is everywhere all the time, here, here's what I, I think that God stands like this. Arms open, heart give. I think that God, I never think God is like this. I know he's never like this. 
And I don't think God is waiting for us to get our acts together before he... I think God is like this, whosoever will may come. He's always willing to be reconciled. He did everything he can to be reconciled, waiting for us to be reconciled with him. Do you believe that? So that God is like this all the time. He's always pouring out. But why is it there's times where we feel that, we sense that, we, we enjoy that, we participate, and then other times we're like, where are you? I believe that God is always pouring out. I think that most of you would raise your hand and say, yes, I believe that. Okay, so what did he say to you today then? There's the difference. We believe that he's always here. We believe that he's always wanting. But why is it at times we can sense? Why, why sometimes we hear his voice so clearly and know what his will is, and other times we're just so unsure of where God is and what he's doing? Why is it like that? I would say it's not because God goes somewhere on vacation. It's not because God withdraws and pulls away from us. I believe that God is always pouring out to us. He's everywhere at once. He's always trying to draw us. All we can do is respond. He's always pursuing. I would throw this out. Sometimes we are in places where we're more aware or present to his presence. Let me give you a great example. Uh, at our teaching team meeting this week, Pastor DJ, our uh, Castle Rock campus pastor, great pastor, love DJ, has such a heart, man. DJ's been with me now I, at 10 or 12 years. He, he just has, he and Cammie have such hearts for God. DJ, uh, he, he, he said to me, uh, I'm thinking about buying a Jeep. Wants to buy a Jeep. And then he made this comment. He said, once I sort of got fixated on a Jeep, he said, everywhere I go now, I see Jeeps. <laughs> now, here's the truth. They didn't just start selling Jeeps yesterday. <laughs> Jeeps have been around for a long period of time. He's been driving the same roads in and out of traffic for years and years and years. But all of a sudden, he is aware because he's looking for that thing. Now he sees them every place. Chris and I, uh, another, another example of this, um, the house that we, we lived in our house for going on 15 years. We raised our children. Most of our square footage was given to bedrooms. <laughs> now, we, all, now all we do is heat bedrooms. <laughs> Keep the door closed so the dog can't get in there. So we're questioning right now, is it time to sell this house and buy something that fits where we're at in life. We don't need all the square footage we have. We certainly don't need all the bedrooms we have right now. So should we sell this house and buy something? And as soon as we begin to think about that, guess what we see in our neighborhood? Every house that's for sale right now. Now, they didn't all go for sale yesterday morning. But I was simply unaware of them because I wasn't looking for that, thinking about that, or in that mindset. Once you get in that mindset, now I see every house that's for sale. Now I'm on websites looking for, I'm pursuing it, I'm, I'm responding to, to this desire that's in my heart. Same thing is true with God. You can go for years doing the same thing. And suddenly when you become aware that God is pursuing me, God has good things for me, or I need God, guess what you see everywhere you go? God. Now the music changes because you hear things you didn't hear before. The message changes because instead of it being theologically true or something in the Bible you agree with, it speaks to where you're at in life. While you sit there, rather than just agreeing with me, suddenly now your heart can get pulled towards, oh, I want to know God more. I want him to change my life. I want to be filled with who he is. I want to be passionate for him. You become aware. What changed? 
God didn't change. Do you hear me? Here's true. Two people could sit in the exact same service, one very aware of the presence of God and very touched by it, and another one unaware. It could happen right next to you. God has favorites, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would, I would point down here too. There, that's true. He has no stepchildren. He has no junior version of the Holy Spirit. He loves all of us very well. He does have favorites, all of us. We want these things to happen when we go to respond. We want you to become aware. The second thing we want to have happen for you, we want you to engage, to become engaged, as opposed to being unengaged. It's the idea of being occupied versus unoccupied with something. I wrote down in the notes right there, just think about this for a moment. In my mind, I, I get that I'm a pastor, and I get that, that I have to think this way, and that it, it's my job to say this, but it's true for all of us. Every human in life needs to answer two questions. The first one is, who is Jesus? Some decide that he's Lord. Some decide that he's a fraud. Some des decide that he's God in the flesh and that he's the revelation of God's heart and that uh, it's the proof that God loves me. And some decide that it's nothing more than religion or a way for men to be controlled or a fairy tale that has no uh, relevance to modern society. But everybody will answer the question at some point in their life, who is Jesus? The Apostle Paul found himself in that very place. Paul was a uh, living, breathing threat to believers, believing that he was doing a service to God. Paul persecuted Christians. He was part of that ruling body I talked about that Gamaliel gave that answer to earlier. He, he saw Christians as a threat to the status quo in their way of life and thought that they were completely off. He sought out letters from the high priest to be able to go all around the area and persecute Christians. If he found any Christians in a synagogue, he had the right to arrest them, bring them back to Jerusalem. He could have them stoned, thrown in prison. Persecuted. Literally, you had a society that was so interlocked with each other that they could ostracize you. You couldn't buy or sell. They could take all of your worldly goods away from you. Christians were harshly treated. Paul, on his way to one of the bigger synagogues to arrest Christians, has an experience with Christ. The Bible says that a bright light blinded him and knocked him to the ground. It humbled him immediately. Paul didn't know what it was, but he asked two questions. The first question, who are you, Lord? And Christ said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. 
And then he asked the second question, which I would say the majority of the people in this room have asked the first question, who are you, Lord, and have answered it correctly. I'm the Christ, and most of you have bowed your knee to that and said, yes, you are the Lord. I give my life to you. I trust you. You are the Christ. And you've settled the realm of salvation. But the second question that Paul asked was this, what do you want me to do? And here's where many believers stay in the realm of salvation but miss the realm of power. The realm of salvation is who are you, Lord, and I bow my knee. You're the Christ, the Son of God. You're the Lord. And we stay here. The second realm is the realm of power. What do you want me to do? Because until we realize God has something for us, we don't become engaged with him in this world. Once we become engaged with him in this world, now the world takes on a brand new context as to how we're to act and react. How we're to be married versus unmarried. How we're supposed to raise children versus not raise children. What kind of business people we're supposed to be. How we're supposed to go through this life. All of those things, we become engaged with God's priority for us when we ask the question, what do you want me to do? So I would ask this question. How many of you believe that God has good things for you? What are they? How many of you believe that God has promises for you and that God has good purposes and plans for your life? What are they? So we live with this nebulous concept of the realm of salvation. When I die, I'll go to heaven based on the work of Jesus. But what about here and now? What are you supposed to do here and now? Pastor, I, I, I do what you did. I ask God what I'm supposed to do and I become a pastor. No. No. Sometimes we're just so unaware. It's not that we don't believe that God has things for us, but we never engage with him to really find out what those things are. We sort of think that by osmosis. <laughs> it'll leak into my brain. I have good posture. I had, a, um, I had an interesting couple of conversations on uh, Thursday of this week. I met with three pastors. Um, I, well, I met with two, and I talked with one on the phone. One was in Texas. One is planning a church in uh, Denver, and the other one is one on our staff. All three of them are at different places in life. Um, forgive me for using the pastor example. I'm certainly not pointing to this being the outcome of asking God what you're supposed to do. But all three of these guys said the same thing to me unbeknownst to each other. Uh, the guy in Texas is planning a church right now. Just launched it last weekend, right? Last weekend? Yeah, last weekend. So we're emailing and talking on the phone back and forth, and this is what he said to me. Uh, he said, why do you think I'm planning a church right now? Because God told you to plant a church. He said, well, that, that's true. He said, but a few years ago when I was there as an intern, you told me I'd be a great church planner, and you engaged me in something that I never contemplated before. The guy that's got a church in Denver 
just happened to ask me all on the same day, unbeknownst to each other, do you know why I'm a pastor? Because God called you to be a pastor. It's true, but you told me I'd be a good pastor. And it engaged me in something that I never considered before. Then a guy on my staff, he's been here since he was a kid. A little kid in elementary school. And grew up in our church and went away, did some school, came back. He's one of our children's pastors. And I'm drinking coffee with him on Thursday. He said, I wanted to tell you something. He said, when I was eight years old, you had all the kids stand up. And he said, you pointed to me and told me God had a call on my life. And he said, I'm serving God today because you engaged me in something I never considered before. Now, don't draw a dotted line to I engage with God so I become a pastor. But in each of these people's case, they simply, all they needed to do was be engaged in the fact that God had something for them. And their whole life took on a proportion and a direction. What would they be doing right now? Most people would do this. How can I make the most money? Which, I'm not saying that's not a legitimate question to ask, but anybody in this room that's old enough to know better knows this. You can make a lot of money, but if you're not happy at it, if it doesn't bring you satisfaction, if there's no sense of purpose and joy in that, was the money worth it? You traded your life for money. Hello? So what, what, to the, what to the person right in the middle of life that's like, I am so locked and loaded, how do I even change that? We go to engage today. God, what do you have for me? Don't think in terms of career. Think in terms of what could I be doing you created me that would satisfy me in my relationships, in how I live now, in what you've put into my hand. What can I do with what you've given me now? that will engage me. We never, we constantly ask, the, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. You got the realm of salvation. The realm of power is asked in the second question, what do you want me to do? Now, if it was as easy as just simply saying the words, snap your finger and it's done, listen to me, it's not done that easily. There's process here. There's God speaking to me. There's trial and error. There's moving into things, testing things, figuring it out. Figure it out. Your life counts when you're moving in that thing where you feel like you're engaged with God. Does that make sense? You're so quiet. Are you okay? Okay give you the last one. I, I set it up intentionally to be done with plenty of time here. The last warm one is to be transformed. So we want you to be aware, engaged, transformed. The opposite of transformed is to be conformed. Transformed versus conformed. Romans chapter 12 verse 2. Is, this is great truth right here. Paul writes to the Roman church 
do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be, what's the word? By the renewing of your mind. If your mind is renewed, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Here's God's will for your life. Good, pleasing, perfect. Say that with me. Good, pleasing, perfect. How do we know what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is? You have to be transformed. Now, there's no neutrality to this scripture. I'll make two statements and close. You can be born again and not have your mind transformed. You can die and go to heaven based on the work of Jesus, but your life here and now is lived like a person who is not transformed. How many of us know, it's rhetorical, how many of us know people who love God but whose lives are not being transformed on a day-to-day basis? They're stuck in habits. They're stuck in lifestyles. They're stuck with attitudes. They're stuck with, with curses from their past. We know anybody like that? So it is possible to be born again and not be transformed. If you're not being transformed, then you're being conformed. There's not a neutral place here. If we're not being transformed, then the world is conforming us. We're being stuck in being conformed. God's call to you is to be transformed, but transformed into what? This is important. Transformed into what? God's purpose for your life is that you are transformed to become like Christ. To become like Christ. How are we transformed? In his presence. We are transformed to be a little more like... Every time you leave here, I want you to be a little more like Christ. So if I nutshell that for you, what what is Christ like? Well, we get a picture of his personality uh, in in the, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, mercy, gentleness, self-control. That's the personality of Jesus. So that when we are exposed to God's presence, we leave with more love inside of us, more joy inside of us, more peace inside of us, patience, goodness. We have more mercy. How many of you need more mercy? How many of your spouses need more mercy? Yes! This, to get this is to get everything. We're transformed when our minds are renewed so that we become more like Christ. We're transformed in his presence. We're transformed not by hearing a message right now. You can leave this place and no transformation happens. Yes, you can quote me, but it doesn't necessarily mean it changes you. It changes you when God takes it and gets it in your heart. That's why we never just want to get your brain. We want the brain and the heart. These two things together represent power. This one represents knowledge. This one represents passion. Knowledge and passion together are power. Did you get that? Now, if we could capture that, the world's changed. The disciples weren't just full of the knowledge of Jesus, but the power of Jesus. Knowledge and power marry together. Father, what a great honor it is to be able to come before your presence knowing that you, God, you want, you want to move in our lives right now. 
You want to transform us. You want us to become aware, engaged, transformed. You're pursuing us right now, and it's our great joy to respond. Lord, we are all together in a position to say that we want this to happen in our lives. Folks, some are here this morning, and the first question is very pertinent to you. Who are you, Lord? Jesus is not a good man. He's not a philosophy. He's not another means or an expression of God. He himself said this. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father unless they go through him. Jesus is the very express image of God on the earth. Everything you see Jesus do, he only did what he saw his father do and only said what he heard his father say. Jesus is God's expression of love towards you. And the first question is just simply, who are you, Lord? If today you need to make him the Lord of your life, then simply say to him, I believe. I trust you. I need you. I want to be reconciled to you. The second question is equally, if not more valuable for this life. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? You don't need to think in terms of some grandiose change career. Think in terms of, what do you want me to do in my marriage? What do you want me to do as a mom, as a father, as a son, as a daughter, as a boss, as an employee? What do you want me to do as a believer? What do you want me to do in my neighborhood? What should my life look like? What do you want me to do? I'm going to invite you, look at me real quick and do this a little different. Sit during this first song. When the worship comes on right now, we pick the song that we know um, the majority of you will know. Not everybody, but the majority will know. We're not going to put the words up because we want you to be able to sort of close your eyes and think about what you're singing. Not get caught up right now in the words and whether they're fast enough to keep up with, with how we're singing. I don't want you to put it on automatic pilot and stand up and just go respond to the different elements that we have. Um, John, in just a moment, when it's time, we'll release you to those elements. I want this first song just really be on purpose. Sit down and just focus in on being aware. Aware that God is here in this room right now and aware that he's pursuing you. And then engage. And as you engage with God, let him transform you. Let him speak. Let him touch. Let him open your heart. Let's give him a few minutes to do what he 
delights to do and why we really came here this morning. And then we can take communion after that. Use the crosses if you want to. If you need prayer, that'll be available. If you want to just stand and worship at that point, that's fine. But use this as a point to become aware, engaged, transformed.